Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. Uh, my name is Dick Drobnik, and I'm the director of the, the iBear MBA program. And we have as our guest today a young man who studied with us 24 years ago, uh, Minister Masagos Zukafli. And uh, Masagos has had a 13-year career in public service, being elected three times as member of parliament, uh, serving in a number of ministerial positions, which you've seen in, in his bio. And before that, he had an 18-year career with Singapore Telecoms. He and I are going to have a, a conversation about uh, his work as Minister of Environment and Water Resources and, and why climate change is important to Singapore, um, both from a defensive point of view, how to defend itself from, from climate change, and also as business, business opportunity point of view. Tell us a little bit about your principal responsibilities as, as Minister for the Environment and, and Water Resources. Four years ago when I, when I took over the job, my primary responsibility was just taking care of the environment and water resources. And water resources is uh, almost uh, an oxymoron because um, in other countries, when you say you're in charge of natural resources, you mean, it means you have lots of natural resources. In Singapore, when you take care of water resources, it means you have no water. It's just the other way around. You, you, it's, it's, it's put as a public line to, to remind people water is an existential issue. We have a business taking care of it because you better manage it well. If not, you don't have it. Why to the Singapore government is, is climate change so important? And, and I know you have to defend against uh, mm. the ocean uh, and I guess defend against Malaysia, perhaps cutting off water. Yeah. Um, but also you're very active in the international forums. And uh, you know, Singapore is a really small place. So why are you playing in these international forums? Well, well, there are a few reasons. One, the primary reason is for small countries like Singapore, the only way we can thrive, even in fact survive, is in a multilateral system where rules of law uh, prevail. And that no big countries or big powers uh, can run uh, roughshod over, over anybody because there are rules. And because we are small, uh, we are not threatening. We can't threaten anybody, you know. Uh, the, in the case of the climate change, for example, when in fact, uh, whether you are uh, by chance a developing country, you could be also be uh, emitting lots and lots of uh, greenhouse gases. And therefore, in the old system, such countries don't have to follow the rules of emissions. And that's not fair. Singapore proposed that everyone try to put their best foot forward based on what you call CBDR, common but uh, differentiated responsibilities. That you, everyone, put their best foot forward and commit an emission reduction based on their own circumstances and not look at what everyone should be doing and not what I'm doing. So everyone just don't uh, submit something and then when you, when you aggregate all of them, the scientists will just tell us is that good enough or not good enough? And then have a, a timeline in 2030 that everyone will meet these commitments beyond which by 2050, you have to put up something more ambitious. Okay, what, what about in defending Singapore from uh, water shortage, 
Yeah. Freshwater shortage and saltwater overabundance. Where climate change is concerned, uh, and in fact for many, many, many things that we, when policies are made, the Singapore government always, as far as possible, uh, rely on evidence, on science. So we, have, we established some time, about five, six years ago, uh, the Centre for Climate Research uh, in Singapore and gave uh, broad scientists from all over the world to basically do number crunching based on historical data and to, to bring it down to where it's applicable in the tropical belt. Uh, what are we concerned about? We are concerned about three things. Temperature, what will be the projection of temperature in the tropics, What's the, particularly for Singapore, what's the projection of sea level rise? And then finally, the kind of rainfall patterns we should see, the kind of risks. Uh, would uh, one in a thousand year rain, for example, occur in a frequency of one in a hundred? Um, looking at the thermodynamics of uh, climate change, uh, the weather patterns really is, is, is it's about thermodynamic laws and it's bringing a lot of uh, expertise from uh, all sorts of uh, disciplines coming together to do this. Just uh, to give an example of how, how difficult it is, um, when they ran the numbers in the supercomputer, it took them a year to come up with just these three numbers. Just three numbers. Uh, it's that complex and after running that and, and given, giving us those numbers, they were still not, uh, I would say, confident to say you can live with this. And they've asked us for more money to buy bigger computers to run more numbers that will still take another year to, to, to churn out. Are, are you doing that just for Southeast Asia tropics or yes. you're looking across yes. Southeast yes. Asia? Because if you even, even if you look at NASA, all the uh, temperature differences across the world is not uniform. So the impact that this, this uh, distribution of temperatures and, and, and rain patterns and so forth are different for different countries. For Singapore, um, we currently, this current model tells us about a meter of, of sea level rise by 20, 20, uh, end of century. Um, but IPCC recently, the uh, International Panel for Climate Change, uh, things that at the kind of NDC that I talked about that we committed for 2030, you probably see this scenario by the 20, in the maybe 2050. So it's it's one, it's one meter by 2050. Yes, okay. it's a possibility. Mm. I mean, the, mm. these are all in terms of uh, probabilities and so forth. Sure. So the probabilities just got higher, given the kind of commitments uh, countries are making, even if they can make those commitments. Uh, which is to, to bring, to keep the, uh, pre the, the uh, temperature around the world about 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial uh, uh, conditions. Uh, so for Singapore, the one meter, one meter sea level rise is something um, there is enough technology to prevent it from overwhelming the, the country. But what we worry about is this one in a thousand, one in a thousand phenomena where you have a storm surge and heavy rain coming together. So you have so much water you can't keep out and too much water you can throw out because the, 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 the uh, sea level rise is just too high. Uh, did it, has it happened before? Yes, it has. Uh, not in Singapore, 
uh, it happened, I think, in 1953 in, uh, in Holland, when the scientists uh, have been warning since the 30s to the, to the Dutch to fortify their, their dikes. And nobody just, nobody just, no government wanted to spend billions of dollars to repair something that didn't in broke. And uh, so in 1953, this, this, this uh, storm, perfect storm happened. Storm surge in the North Sea, heavy rain, and overnight 1,800 people died. And then, since then, the, the Dutch have been taking this very seriously. So in Singapore, based on this model that we're looking at, the possibility of a 4.5 meter storm surge can happen. 4.5 meter storm surge means one third of Singapore will be inundated underwater. The most important part too. And which is why we have, we have already starting to, started to build uh, our new ports in the western part of Singapore, about 5.5 meters above currency level, and the new airport in the eastern part of Singapore at five meters above sea level. That's how serious we are. So that's, that's for flood storm surge management. But in the meantime, you also have to worry about the kind of floods which are not that bad, but bad enough and more frequent. Already in Singapore, we are seeing that uh, we don't have a season anymore. We used to, I mean, I know you guys got seasons. We also have four seasons. We have uh, hot, day, uh, uh, hot season and uh, hotter season and wet season and wetter season. <laughs> so, but it was almost predictable. It, we, we knew then, I mean, was, I was growing up, June and December were just rainy seasons. It's not happening anymore. You, you, we have to think around the world too, how to make sure whatever resources you have and do not uh, to use it over and over again and never to look at waste in the same way we are doing it today. So this linear economy where you take, make and throw uh, is just not sustainable. This, we, are, we are doing that already with our water. Um, we take water from our sewage every day and within 24 hours there's, there's enough science today to produce pure water within 24 hours. Now this water is so pure, there's no virus, there's no bacteria, there's nothing, not even minerals. It's so pure that if you drink this water directly from the output of this, uh, of this plant, it's corrosive. Because pure water is not bad for you. So don't drink distilled water, if it's really distilled water. You have to remineralize it. Have, so we put it back in the reservoir, and then we, we use it back. And why do we do this? Again, climate change, because you have to keep your resources intact within. You cannot rely on the weather to give you water, on your neighbor to give you water. You have to keep whatever you have and reuse it again and again. Now, as an engineer, I, th I can relate to this too for another reason. If you can keep something, if you can take something out of a system and keep it in the loop again and again, you take half, you can take half of it and put it in the system again and again, you actually double your supply. <coughs> if you take three quarters out, and put it in the system again and again, you quadruple your water supply. And that's what security is about. It's about keeping things in the loop and not throwing it away. Ms. Agus, are there, there've gotta be business opportunities in doing this. Does the government uh, help start these things with, with subsidies or research grants, and, and then eventually, you get to scale where people can yes. make money? Yes. Can you talk about that a bit? Yes. So. 
water, for example, this, uh, what we call new water production from our sewage, uh, that came from grants. And uh, I can't remember how much money was put in the system. And, and do you give those grants to the universities yes. or to private companies? So we have two kinds of grants. One for basic research. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be something like how flies jump. I mean, how high fleas jump, for example. I, mean, I don't know why it's useful, but yes, let's, let's, let's fund that too. But we also fund a lot more for industry applications. So that's the kind of things we are doing. And, I, and there's a lot of uh, business opportunities, uh, not just in terms of technology, but actually in, in terms of how you market uh, sustainable products. I, I think it's, it's the, the young people telling us, you better produce something I want, and that's something to do with sustainable production, and not something that you think is good for me. And I think as businesses, <coughs> we better take these signals, take these, uh, these uh, calls seriously, because if you don't, then the alternative to what people can produce in uh, sustainable ways the young will make their money talk and uh, businesses uh, who do not, who think they okay. produce uh, using coal-powered uh, plants and, and whatever, I think they're going to suffer in the long term. In fact, I think they'll suffer quite quickly. Business Class, expert insight into the world of business. The host, Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.